share with you today. Um, I want to talk about the generations and how timely that we had a baby dedication this morning. Wasn't that incredible? Um, baby Nora, she is just beautiful, and I know God has great things for her life. But let's think about this. God cares about the generations. I was here probably 15 years ago, and I was working for the university, and I, I sat in on the youth ministry, and it was, again, this is a generation's church, and I was so amazed at how much you poured into the next generation, and I know that we need to do that more now than ever uh, when you look at the statistics. But I want to share this verse, Psalm 145, great is the Lord, most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. Our God is the God of generations. Scripture makes it clear. Even It's even found in one of his names he uses for himself. I am the God, your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, Exodus 3, 6. God loves the generation and prefers to work within the framework. We need the babies and the teens. I know parents, you're like, I don't need the teens right now. But we need the teens. We need moms and dads and grandparents and spiritual mothers and fathers. This passage that we're talking about here in, in Psalm 145, and then as, as, as God talks about the generations, is a mandate to generational interaction. The generation is to pour into the next generation that is coming up. Likewise, the rising generation is to follow the example of the older generation. In this manner, things are to continue until the end of time as we know it. A perfect design for the good of all people for his glory. So God's purpose and plans are greater than any individual, even though we are in a very individualistic culture, right? But it continues from generation to generation. We need to see the world and the purposes of God in light of multiple generations. You know, there's a saying that takes, it takes a village. Well, it takes a family system and a village to grow healthy people, to grow healthy attachment. You know, that's how we actually become healthy people. And, and many of you probably know unhealthy people. See, I'm a therapist and I can actually say those things. Like there are just unhealthy people around, right? And we help those people get healthy and we help healthy people have grace for the unhealthy. But we need the generations in community to help people be healthy because we need our people, right? And we can say, you know what? I don't think that's what Jesus does. I don't think that's how we do things. Let's find a different way. We come alongside. We need the generations. And generations are so important because it passes on the things from the past. But we see in Judges, there was a generation who did not know. You know, Joshua in the Bible was a man of God that was chosen to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. And he displayed incredible strength and courage in doing so. He was a mighty man of faith, an inspiring leader. But look what happened. I want to I wanna show you Judges chapter 2, 7 through 8, and then, chapter, and then verse 10. It says, the people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua. I mean, there were signs and wonders. And of the elders who outlived him, who had seen all the great things the Lord had done in Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, he died at the age of 110. And after that, a whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors. Another generation grew up 
who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. I mean, we're talking about Joshua. It's kind of incomprehensible for me to think that after living a life of great faith, seeing countless signs of wonders and winning so many victories, Joshua and his generation dropped the baton from one generation to the next. By God's grace, Joshua and his mighty men had defeated the Amalekites, crossed the Jordan River on dry ground, saw the walls of Jericho come down, and even had seen the sun stand still. Yet, after all these miracles that shone the power and provision of a mighty God, the next generation, an entire generation, did not know the Lord or the works that he had done. What happened? Where was the legacy of the Joshua generation? Were they so busy that they had, you know, so busy defeating enemies? Were they so busy with their children that they forgot to remind their kids what the Lord had done? Were they not purposeful about each and every day? Did they not share the stories? Did they not encourage their children to encounter the God that they had encountered? Maybe after so many years of hardship, the parents were just exhausted and dropped their guard, got complacent. Sometimes we do that, right? When things get too good, we forget. But oh, when things get bad, we're like on our knees, Jesus. We don't really know what happened, but something went horribly wrong. Whatever the gap, it had a crippling effect on the next generation. They stopped carrying the baton of faith. And the great God became so small in the eyes of the entire generation that they could no longer see him. Is is that happening to us? Are we passing the baton of faith? Are we sharing our stories to the next generation? Deuteronomy 6.4 says this, and it's a great, it's it's a call to parents. It's a call to the generations Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, and with all your strength. The commandments that I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as a symbol on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Love him with your whole heart and talk about him all the time. All the time. Not just talking about him, but how he has done things in your life. What he's called us to do. Do we do that? Do we we talk about the Lord and what he's done on the way to soccer? In between classes? On the way to church? In the midst of homework and projects and grandkids, are we talking about the things and the ways of God? Because I'm going to tell you what, I work with the next generation and they are hungry for you to plug in. They're so hungry for you to plug in that they're finding other outlets, literally their technology. That is their social engagement. That is their stimuli. That is their small group. That is their quote unquote bonding, but it isn't the kind of attachment that connects hearts to hearts, mind to mind. It isn't that has said that that long suffering, that long enduring bonding attachment that we're supposed to have with our families and our caregivers from the moment we are born. So we have a disconnected generation. 
disconnected in heart and mind and in even interest. What is there to talk about? You might say, I don't connect, I don't relate. Perhaps it's we're not asking the right questions. We're not talking along the road while we're bike riding, while we're playing, while we're connecting, we're not talking. This is important. Nick Sticknett, a University of Nebraska professor, studied the characteristics of strong families in different societies around the world. And so instead of studying the dysfunctional family, he's like, what works? What works well? And this is what he came up with. Families that do well are committed to the family social unit. They're social. They engage. They talk. They communicate. Number two, they spend quality time together as a family. They have good communication skills. Again, they talk. They consistently express appreciation to each other. Okay, so we're just going to get super real here. Um, if you are having any kind of distress in your marriage right now, I do a lot of couples work I have. I don't know why, but it just seems to be something that works in what I do. But if you're struggling in your relationship, I guarantee you it's very low appreciation in your home. When a couple comes to me and they're distressed and they're having, you know, things, and I always say, What's, do you have a culture of appreciation? I mean, do you kind of like hype each other up? Do you like, thank you for that amazing coffee or thank you for doing those dishes or thank you for attuning to my story that went too long? Do we do those things? And they look at me like you're looking at me right now like they've never heard such a thing. Like, are you crazy? I mean, literally, sometimes it's like this awkward silence and I'm like, and that's why you're here. And that's why you pay me the big bucks. <laughs> Appreciation, so basic, so not happening. And this, could be, this is so important for not only the generations, your little ones throughout and your older ones, but for one another. Are you appreciating who you're with? Are you appreciating the small things? I'm going to tell you, you want to shift, shift things today? You want to flip the script on your relationship and start to add that spark again? You know what? Start showing some appreciation. Start, start saying, I see you and I appreciate and watch the eyes light up. Oh my gosh, you might get another perk or benefit throughout the day. Do it. I, I challenge you. I dare you. Show some appreciation. Number five, problem solving skills. They are problem solvers in crisis. And lastly, they are committed to a whole spiritual life. We have got to reach the generations by being family, by being connected and community, communicating cross-generationally. See, we always talk about diversity, right? In, in, in ethnicity and in race and culture. What about diversity in generations? I think we need some sensitivity there to begin to think about how do we communicate to the generations. So let's just talk about some generational realities. All right, we have the greatest generation, um, the, the great grandparents in the room, any great grandparents, we love you. We have the baby boomers, you're also grandparents. You're getting old, by the way. It's time to move along and make some room for the next generation to have some jobs. You know, there, there is an issue right now. I'm just, I'm just teasing, I'm just teasing. Um, but the baby boomers, that's my parents' generation. Then we have Gen Xers. They are the smallest generation. Any Gen X, fellow Gen Xers? We're here. We're small. We're cynical. Yeah. Okay. I know. We, we, we really are in good moods some of the time. 
But we are the smallest generation and kind of one of the first, they, they say forgotten generations. We're the first um, group that were latchkey kids. And so here we are. And then guess what? The millennials came. And see, Gen X who? Millennials took over. They were the most marketed generation in history. And um, they're the largest. In fact, they got so much airtime that Gen, Gen, X, Gen Z went to college and we didn't even realize. In fact, if you're a Gen Zer and you're called a millennial, I'm sorry. We do that. We do that. You know, Gen, Gen Zers are now becoming parents. They're um, born between 1996 and 2010. They're in their 20s. I think they're around 12 to 26 years old. And, you know, I don't know if you guys know, but we have Gen Alpha coming up. They're about 0 to 10. And so things are changing so rapidly. But I want to kind of zoom, zoom, zoom in, you know, Generation Z, Generation Zoom, whatever you want to call them, because really that's been their experience. Um, they are the, we're going to talk about them because they are the largest generation right now. They're post-Christian. Um, they live in a post-Christian society. They're diverse. Um, they want everyone to win. They are enthusiastic, but they're realists. They're realists. They were born post-9-11. They see the world differently, not rose-colored glasses like millennials. Millennials are very optimistic, where, where you see Gen Z, they're very realistic. They've been shaped by the legalization of same-sex marriage, abortion, and the political climate. They are, quite frankly, biblically illiterate. Churches have moved away from Christian education, and so we not only, even at a, as a biblical university, we get students who, honestly, they um, come in and they don't even know the Bible. They don't know the basic stories. The seeker-sensitive movement has changed a generation not really knowing the ways of God. They know values, but they don't know God and his word. Gender fluidity, inclusivity, they're screen-addicted, and they have been shaped by so many things that have happened in their society. But let me tell you a few things that um, Pastor James Emery wrote in his book called Meet Generation C. He said, Gen Z has a strong desire to make a difference with their lives and they are attracted to what will enable them to make that difference. A faith that is privately engaging but socially irrelevant will not attract them. They want engagement. They want to know how their faith makes a difference. Number two, they are tradi the tr traditional morality is actually a tricky conversation. They are attracted to, uh, they, as they navigate their own sexuality and consider relational acceptance and lifestyle affirmation to be synonymous. So if you have an issue with someone's morality, they say you have an issue with them. So they're very protective, very, again, and, and this is what we're navigating in churches and in universities, is what does God say? And how do you not cut them out of the community of God? So we're looking at how do we, hold to the truth, and help them understand God's reasons and his ways. And then third, the faith question revolves around their deep sense of wonder and awe about the universe. And so they're seeking things like spirituality, very involved in the occult. So they're very attracted. So what do we have? We have the Holy Spirit. They want to see signs and wonders. Let's show them what God can do. Let's show them what the Lord can do for a generation. So we need to think about the questions they're asking. It's not so much, did Jesus rise from the dead? It's the question is, so what if he did? What does that matter? Number two, instead of asking, does God exist? They're asking, what kind of God would call for the killing of an entire people group? Or how can 
God allow people to suffer? These are the existential questions they're asking. And instead about um, instead of testimonies about lives changed through Christ, the question would be why lives currently lived by Christians aren't more changed, why they aren't more transformed, and why perhaps is there so much judgmentalism and hypocrisy? This generation wants what's real. Can we give it to them? May I encourage you, let, let our faith be real and alive. I think the last thing I want to talk about the generations in terms of characteristics is the statistics that you're going to see up here. One in five U.S. adults experience a mental illness each year. This is U.S. data. One in 25 U.S. adults experience a serious mental illness. This means um, hospitalization or a treatment. But look at this. One in six youth aged 6 to 17 experience a mental health disorder each year. And 50% of all lifetime mental illness begins at age 14 and 75% by age 24. We have got to pivot our attention to the next generation. I always ask my students, why by the age of 14? Why? What happens? What happens? And they say immediately, divorce, abuse, addiction, trauma. That's what all this is. Mental illness is childhood trauma, known or unknown. Trauma by its presence, trauma by its absence. Trauma by what happens to you in terms of abuse, neglect, or trauma by its absence, like not being celebrated, not learning to do hard things, not experience attachment. This shapes our mental health, and we wonder what's wrong with us. You know what? A generational community is so attuned, they know what happens, and they help heal but we've lost the multi-generational attachment and connection that is looking at one another saying, how can we grow together? See, the second leading cause of death among people aged 10 to 34 is suicide. Can you believe it? I mean, we hear it in the news and many of you have been affected by this, but the second, the first is accidental death. And I, and I think if the, the second is suicide, church, we've got to wake up. Church, we have to pay attention and tune in to the lives of people around us, to tune into the lives of our children and ask them how they're doing and let them know, I am glad to be with you. But we're individual. Anxiety is the most common mental health disorder. So if you're in this room and you face anxiety, you're in, you're in good company. 285 million people around the world, but good news I have for you. It is the most treatable. A few sessions will start turning you around, yet only 34% seek treatment. Tune in. Tune in and say, get help. You don't have to live this way. It's amazing what will happen when we heal the generations through attunement and connection. The thing is, you hear this doom and gloom, but I want to tell you, some, I'm going to give you some hope today. I see a generation, generation with a revivalist spirit. Students that are up, that I know, are up early for prayer walks. I believe your, your youth in this church, there's aliveness happening in them. We have, we have students that are gathering on Friday nights for what the Shabbat in Jewish tradition. It's that Friday night Sabbath where they gather for meals. We have a group of students in California right now, uh, young adults. It wasn't even, it wasn't ushered in by adults at, at all. It was, they gathered together and they are gathering 40,000 Gen Zers at Angel Stadium April 30th. 40,000. 
They secured Angel Stadium, which was typically a $1.7 million rental. They got it for $175,000 because God is showing up for them. You get this generation activated for Jesus, miracles are going to happen, the generations matter. So this is what I've learned about Gen Z that I want to pass on to you as I leave. What I've learned, I'm giving it to you. They want to know that you know. Help define their reality. Say, I know you're struggling, I know it's hard, and I know you've had a cell phone way too early in life. Y'all, we need to apologize for not shutting down and locking down those phones when they're eight years old. Are you kidding me? Do you know how traumatized? We have a tra- traumatized generation because we did not steward our roles as parents. When you say that to a, a, a student, I just said it to 400, 500 young adults this week. I apologize. You could hear a pin drop. And at the end of my time with them, all of them stood up and said, I want to invite Jesus into my trauma. They want to know you know. Could you define reality for them so that they don't feel crazy or they don't numb out and wonder what's wrong with me? Number two, they're looking for answers and certainty. They want to know that you know and they want to know what you know. Tell them the things of God. Be certain. They want your input and influence. They want to participate and they're coming to your offices and your churches ready to help. Are you utilizing them? I don't know. I had a, my daughter's 18, but I'm telling you, when I had her, I mean, I th- at three years old, she was trying to run my household. She's a Gen Zer. I didn't create that, but she's like cooking. Now she's 18, and she can still. I give her my budget for Christmas. She does all my shopping. She, I mean, she's just an amazing administrative gift. But that's Gen Z. Let's let them run. They're open to challenges, and they're open to being called out, and they want skills and tools now. Are you into this? Let's utilize the next generation and bring them on board. I want to show you this picture. We need the four. If you leave leave with anything, I want to encourage you that we need all four generations. If you're a teenager, if you're a grandparent, if you're a baby, you you don't know your purpose yet, but guess what? Those babies heal our hearts. We need to hold the babies. We need to love the babies. Grandparents need to pour in. It's good for us. We need to build joy. Let's look at this joy slide real quick. From a brain perspective, joy stimulates growth in the brain systems involved in character formation, identity, consolidation, and moral behavior. The higher the joy level in your home, the more transformation will take place. Did you, you know, immediately I tuned into the way Pastor Farrell engaged you. Did you, he exudes joy. Everything, I mean, I was like, I wanna go to the missions prep meeting. I wanna give to Ukraine right now. Everything, he drew me in because he is glad to be together. And he's glad to be together today, and he's glad to be together for missions prep. He's glad to be together after service. Do you see how he brought you in? We can do that too. Build joy. Build joy. The Bible talks a lot about joy. You know one way to build joy is smile whenever you greet those you love and use sincere voice tones. Ask questions and invite others to tell you truthfully how they're doing. Take sincere interest in the generations, into your kids, grandkids, your spiritual kids. Treat each other with dignity and respect. Use touch whenever appropriate. Give hugs. 
Hold hands, link arms, discover what brings the other person joy, give little surprises, appreciate. Basic, but unfamiliar. So wherever you are right now, I'm gonna leave you with three thoughts and a verse. And I want you just to attach to what you believe the Lord is speaking to you. Number one, I wanna encourage you, when it comes to the generations, be bold. Those of you that are elders above 50, 60, 70, there is room for you. Our children, our babies, and our teens, and our young adults need you to pour in. Your purpose is is greater than it's ever been in your season. Young people, be bold and seek after the elders to pour into you. Moms and dads, be bold and invade your children's privacy. You check their phones. You talk to them about real issues. Number two, live your faith. It is time for you to tell about the things that God's done for you. It is time to lay hands on your kids and their grandkids. It is time for you to live your faith. And don't let let anyone look down on you because if you are young, but be an example. Teenagers, be an example. Next generation, be an example. And number three, pass it on. Pass on what you know. Everyone in this room is a role model, whatever age, because someone is following you. Pass it on. Pour in, teach them how to cook, teach them how to clean, teach them how to study the Bible, teach them how to get a job, teach them how to do technology. Psalm 145, one generation will commend your works to another and they will tell of your mighty acts. They will speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They will tell of the power of your awesome works and I will proclaim your great deeds. So Grace Covenant, where will you begin? What is God speaking to your heart today? So I wanna pray with you as we close And I pray that God has illuminated something for you to do today. And if anything, may you remember that you matter. Your life matters. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time, Lord. We thank you that from generation, from generation, that your words and your works will be proclaimed. Help us, God, connect with the generations, but also be committed to the stewardship of passing on God, what you've given to us. Heal families, heal marriages, heal homes, heal the generations. And Lord, may your blessing be upon the generation at Grace Covenant today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you all.